Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio. Uh, there are just two of us. Uh, just two myself today. Myself and, and Jason. Yeah, Mike uh, had some stuff come up, so we will be recording without our um, friend and colleague, Michael, the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg. Um, and we will be discussing... Uh, a topic, uh, a person um, that is probably, if you've read some stuff about Luther, you've probably heard his Latinized name come up at some point. Maybe you were, you even were reading something and you were like, is that a person or a place or what is that? Um, but actually someone who is very important for the course of the Reformation, for the development of the University of Wittenberg, um, and for... Uh, um, building of the library yeah. in Wittenberg. Uh, lots of things. He was a, a pastor in Altenburg in Thuringia uh, and would be part of the visitations. We've talked about the Saxon visitations. And uh, so a very active uh, mover and shaker and influencer. Um, I had my nice highlighted German uh, little biography of him and I lost it. And so I just have my unhighlighted um that is disappointing. Copy, but there was a good German word they used for him being a busy dude. Yeah. I liked it. Um, but it's going to take me a while to, to find it. <laughs> there was also a section on the monument to him, and I I got bored with that. Oh, yeah. So where, is, said, where is the monument? Ein uh, Denkmal für Spalatin. Um, it's a good question. I should read back. It was not that. an exciting, not an exciting section. I've not seen it. Out. Not seen it pop up. I know it said he uh, is not much remembered in his hometown, mm. although his house still exists, um, because his hometown, the Counter Reformation, oh yeah, kind of succeeded, yep. and so uh, he's not as well remembered there. But there is a plaque uh, on his house that said there was and there is. It's still hmm. there as of the writing of of this journal article oh. biography. So who are we talking about? You're probably wondering in your mind that's in your head um who are they talking about uh jason has in front of him uh not only his lunch uh Got that which it looks some sort of bean burrito yep. perhaps kind of chicken bean fajita wrap thing i know and an orange and an orange and i see a cheese stick a cheese stick yes jason is a uh, orange and cheese stick enthusiast yep I've noticed. I'm debating whether I'm going to save my orange and use it as a visual aid in Genesis today. Ah, uh, did you make the fajita burrito thing, or did your beloved? My beloved did not. Uh, she did help. Uh, this is what we had for supper last night, so she helped uh, with the total process. But I was the one doing most of the cooking there. So we, uh, you mentioned supper, Jason, and this was a. Uh, this came up this uh, oh, yeah. last weekend. I was out of state for. Uh, a family thing, and uh, uh, my father-in-law, wonderful man, uh, made a, a, a beautiful daughter, raised her well, hmm. um, who became my betrothed. And uh, he said uh, dinner, but he meant lunch, and I forgot that that's a <laughs> Wisconsin-Minnesota thing. That, that's right. That some of you say supper for dinner. Dinner can be interchangeable. It can float between. It's like a floating brunch. It is, but yeah. But between lunch and. Yep. Yeah, it's still. I've I uh, I'll sometimes say soda when I'm here mm. now to communicate. Yep. I'll even say a bubbler when I'm talking to students, so they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I still don't get the dinner supper thing. But I hope you enjoy 
your leftover, uh, I'm going to say dinner. Yeah. But you may understand that as supper as you yep. want. It's good. It's good. And it doesn't have any lettuce in it. I know uh, that you weren't excited about the lettuce I brought the other day. Yes. So. It, uh, I appreciate that. The uh, <laughs> And so who are we talking about? Well, Jason has a book before him, but it says Frederick the Wise. We've already, we've already done a session on Frederick the Wise. Uh, but, Jason, you said there was a nice little section in there. There is. <laughs> on uh, the person we'll be looking at. And uh, so he pops up in Luther biographies. He pops up in a Frederick the Wise, um, the first elector of Luther's ministry, during Luther's ministry uh, in, in Wittenberg. We're going to be talking about George or Georg Spalatin, um, whose original name would have been uh, uh, not Spalatin. Spalatin is a Latinization. I uh, would have been George Burkhart, and he was called Spalatin um, because of the town that he was from. So he gets a Latinized name, uh, like, for instance, Philip Melanchthon, who, if I'm not mistaken, um, it's just a Latinization of his German name, which meant Black Earth. Mm-hmm. Although um, really kind of more Greekified, Greekified. Oh, you're right, Hel- yeah. Hellenization, that is that the yeah, better way be to Hellenization. But, uh, this yeah. is common for humanists to do either the Latin or Greek. And then Luther, right, um, will at some points be Eleutherius. Yes. The free one, which would yes. also be Greek, right? I'm getting my... Yeah, yep. But Spalatine would be Latinization, I'm pretty positive. I think you're right. Okay. Uh, if I mess that up, then I apologize to those of you who know whether it is or not, or Googled it afterwards. Um, <clears throat> George Spalatine. And he, his name pops up at all the big events. Mm-hmm. Um, involving Luther's ministry in Wittenberg um, at the present presentation of the Augsburg Confession. Right, Spalatin is one who had been brought um, by the elector to go to that event. Um, he might be the one behind the idea to kidnap Luther and take him to the Fortberg. Because he shows up at the Wartburg too. Yeah, he's definitely the one who says to the elector of Saxony, do not let Luther go to Rome. Do not let him answer this summons mm-hmm. um, to Rome. He uh, has uh, what I think uh, um, are some very interesting letters he interchanges he um, has with Luther while Luther is at the Wartburg. Both of these men at different points suffer from depression. Um, so we have Luther talking about boredom and, and depression at at, uh, at the Wartburg. And here I, I can't say, I, I'm not going to diagnose across time clinical depression. They would have at the time probably talked about melancholy or mm-hmm. melancholia. Chronic has a super weird but super cool <laughs> painting on yeah. this with all the little babies. You know what I'm talking yep, about? Yep, I've seen that and one. And this lady's just kind of looking sad while all the babies are crawling around. And... Uh, um, but Luther talks about the problems of uh, being bored there. Um, and uh, and so they, they will form a bond. Spalatin, uh, I'll let you maybe jump in with Luther. Um, while he is going to, uh, I would say, obviously, be one to Luther's theology. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe uh, be persuaded. But he definitely, um, it wasn't inevitable that he would adopt this theology um, that was uh, being taught at Wittenberg by Luther and Melanchthon and others. Um, while he he would become very committed to that and, and capable theologically himself, I want you to tell us a little bit about uh, what his actual early training was and what his, his main gig had been uh, leading up to this. Yeah, he, <clears throat> I mean, he he did have theological training, you know, and he served as a, as a priest. Um, and so, I mean, he, he knew his, his stuff, so to speak, from a religious 
perspective. Um, but he was also, uh, you know, trained as a humanist and which is something that really appealed to Frederick. He seemed to, he seemed to like that because he ended up, uh, spending a lot of time in Frederick's court. Um, but the thing that really kind of brought him there, I believe, is that he was asked to come, or while he was there, he was asked to um, start tutoring um, mm-hmm. Frederick's nephew and a few of the other... Johann Frederick. Yeah. Johann Frederick, yeah. And a few of the other young boys there at court, maybe also Frederick's own illegitimate two sons uh, were maybe part of that as well. Um, so... Uh, he did a lot of that, and and interestingly, yeah, and uh, and while Jason uses the word illegitimate, and that's a term that we use, right? We do no child is illegitimate, right? right in a sense, so um, we're using it as it would have been used, right? For it, this is yeah. born out of wedlock, perhaps to yeah. uh, Frederick the Wise, um, and we're Spelotin then not him eligible to to take over the, after, right. yes, Spelatin himself, um according to the this German biography I've read, is the um, the son of a uh, single mother and oh. an unknown father who was a tanner, they believe, and maybe died in the year of his uh, his birth. He was a Rotgerber, um, hmm. which is a, a red tanner or a, a tanner. Um, so uh, I did not know that before I did, this. I did not either. I knew that, you know, Leidigen he came Mutter, from a... I believe a single mother, yeah. Yeah, I know that uh, he came from a tanner's family but uh yeah. i had not heard that that uh, unbekannten fathers would be right unknown yeah yeah that's interesting not revealed father um so unless i am uh understanding this wrong um so it would you know he, his own background would uh he would be able to sympathize uh, mm-hmm. with their situation what um What's the significance of him being a tutor? We might now say, oh, well, being like a tutor is like a college kid's job. Right. You know, and they maybe like go and they live with a family and, and, and you know, take care of some stuff and tutor the kids, whatever, uh, with a wealthy family. What would be the significance of having this role for him? Well, I think, so yeah, the the wealthier families, especially those in nobility, I mean, they would hire on uh, someone to serve as a tutor, which basically became the one-on-one teacher for uh, the child in mind. And, and, and sometimes it wasn't just one-on-one in the sense it was one teacher to one student, but it was a very small, usually very small group of kids. And a lot of it was going to be, you know, prepping them in the things that they would need to know uh, as they prepared to take over and lead their state uh, or whatever principality they were in. Um, but to prepare, to prepare them, you know, not just, you know, reading and writing stuff, but also to give them a little bit more, you know, background in the things that were especially important for the uh, region that they were involved in. So Yeah. So, I mean, probably, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but maybe the, the second most impressional person after uh, mm. his, his pa- the, per- yeah. the, the child's parents. Yep. Certainly, uh, they would spend a lot of time with the, you know, um, the young people there. And again, mostly would have been the boys, but, but you know, that wasn't only always the case. And um, I think, you know, the, they talk about how um, Spalton struggled a little bit early on because, you know, the young boys, as they, they were much more interested in the athletic pursuits of 
jousting and learning, you know, how to pick up the sword and those type of things. And, and he was, uh, kind of lamenting the fact that, you know, it's like, they don't like these books as much as the swords. And, and, uh, it's like, well, give it a little time. And, and, and he did, uh, did kind of win those boys over, I think. Uh, and John Frederick later on says he, um, kind of missed it when Spalton wasn't his teacher anymore, that, yeah. that, uh, that was something that he really missed. So, and, they, and I think any grade school or middle school teacher mm-hmm. especially can sympathize with Spalatine. Oh yeah. Um, I'm sure many of us, uh, perhaps both of us and many people listening, um, were boys longingly looking out the window <laughs> for recess. Yep. Um, during, uh, the classes where we were probably supposed to be paying attention. Yeah. I don't think any of us ever complained when we got a few extra minutes of recess. What was your, what was your favorite recess activity, Jason? Favorite recess activity was always softball. As soon as, hmm. as soon as we could get the snow fence out of the ground, uh, at, nice. I never played softball at recess. That's oh, we played from uh, there until the end of intent till the end of the year. That was, huh. so maybe that was March. I would say my, my second was, um, tennis ball, football in the parking lot. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know why we played it with a tennis ball, but you could really fling that thing. I bet. And, but it was also harder to catch. So we had yeah. like touch there, but our uniforms had ties. And so we all started wearing clip on ties because otherwise people would grab you by your tie. Yeah. And, uh, you'd almost choke. Yeah. That'd but my be first bad. would definitely be King of the Hill when the plows, we had a huge parking lot at St. Robert's and, uh, the, uh, yep. these, hill- I'm surprised no one got a concussion. Yeah, it was always a good day when you could get away with playing a little bit of King of the Hill before the uh, teachers would yep. stop you. Yeah, it. Uh, we did a lot of dangerous things back then. I don't know that. Uh, yep. I, I I would not want to be a, re- uh, a recess supervisor still today. <laughs> I think that right. they're they're saints in their own in their own oh, yeah. kind. The uh, so he is ordained in 1508, having been born. In 1484, so around the, the same time of Luther's birth, uh, within a year or two, and uh, ordained a priest, but then becomes a tutor, and really uh, is going to spend much of his life at court until he'll end up in a parish later. Um, so he is going to um, be at home in one of the uh, more powerful courts in Germany, yeah. which would be that of Frederick the Wise, uh, the Elector of Saxony. And as Luther comes... And reform begins. He's really when we talk about the two kingdoms, uh, Spalatine is going to have a foot in each, yeah. um, and navigate between um, the and, the and German, a very important link between. Yeah, and that's Luther what I was and, just going to throw to you. Yeah, um, he is a uh, a mediator, right, uh, between mm-hmm. the two. Maybe if you can unpack a little, Jason. Well, a, why did there need to be a mediator? Why isn't why aren't Luther and Frederick the Wise just meeting all the time? Um, and B, as a mediator, what, um, you know, why was it, why was his role so important? What skills did he right have to play into that? Anything you want to do with that is fine. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think part of it is, you know, there, Frederick was in a, in a tough spot, you know, and that he, he, uh, appreciated what Luther was doing and, and he was, you know, really enjoyed the, um, the humanist learning that, you know, Luther, that Luther and the Reformation, you know, spring springs out of and, and he, that appealed to him and he liked the prestige that Luther was bringing to the university and all of those things. And but the students. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Cause I mean, people were coming from all around 
wanting to um, sit at the feet of these um, Wittenberg professors. But it was also tough because he was getting pressure to turn Luther over and, and uh, you know, send him to Rome, uh, let it, you know, put him up for trial, you know, get out of the way so we can... Get him to shut up by giving him a golden rose. Yep, get him, at the very least, get him to shut up. And, and then you have Luther on the other side that is not interested in that at all, and he's maybe being... Um, shockingly bold uh especially for you know frederick is known as being the wise and you know how he's able to delay and and um keep himself out of trouble so to speak and luther is i think um a little more boisterous and and uh extreme in his approach in this in in certain areas and so spalatin number one is able to correspond with each of them freely uh, and can help influence maybe Frederick on the one hand while tempering Luther on the other hand and allowing that to continue to, that relationship to continue to develop, even though they're maybe not um, seeing each other face to face. And not just, you know, the relationship developed, but, you know, the importance of, you know, the things that were going on there as far as Reformation events were concerned that uh, um, Frederick continues to protect uh, the developments in Wittenberg and in Luther's life and and uh, remains steadfast in that against a lot of pressure from the outside. Yeah, and I think we, those of us who are Lutherans, and I would say especially Lutheran clergy, you know, we like to look back to Luther and we appreciate his boldness and we um, perhaps even in our seminary and early ministry phases want to imitate um, this boldness or, or in God forbid a his polemics mm-hmm. in language. Uh, and uh, we can sometimes forget how unheard of um, Luther's stances and behavior would have been in many instances, right? He's a, oh, yeah. he's a university press professor at the elector's new college. Um, he's a fairly new doctor of theology. Uh, he has no political office. Right. Um, and yet he is uh, bold to take stances that certainly do impact uh, the elector of Saxony and the political sphere. Right, handing Luther over would have been not only an ecclesiastical um, thing, but a uh, a political act as well. It would have been uh, it's right. It's saying you're able to demand this, and I need to mm-hmm. go along with it. In in a way, it would be a, a challenge to the sovereignty of, of his rule. Um, and, but, part uh, of, and part yeah. of it too, why Frederick can get away with some of this is, I mean, he's, he's not just one of the most powerful guys in Germany. I mean, honestly, he's as a sovereign in, in his own principality is one of the most powerful in Europe as a whole. Right. You right. know, so, I mean, that, that, that's a big part of that where, you know, you have these different factions that need Frederick and his support, so they're not going to force the issue too much. Right, and he's not going to, it's not that Frederick is going to do something in open defiance, he's just going to not do things right. um, in uh, subtle defiance. Yes. But but Luther is, is going to make it extremely difficult to pursue that route, as you noted, and, uh, and so Spalatine has to... Um, take the rough edges off of what Luther is up to or saying, mm-hmm. uh, 
so that it's uh, hopefully palatable somewhat for the elector. Um, but he also has to be able to get through to Luther sometimes, that there are boundaries <laughs> and there are things to be considered that perhaps had not been taken into consideration. We talked about resistance and the question of resistance in the last session, um, right? Spalatin would have been one of them that has to be blunt with Luther and say, like, war is a legit possibility now since the Augsburg recess. Right. Um, and uh, it's not just an abstract question of if the elector can stand up to the emperor if there's this re-Catholicizing agenda that drives war. Um, so Spalatin sometimes has to be the voice that Luther will um, maybe not like everything that he's saying, but will listen to. Uh, and so he's dealing with two very different personalities, and yet strong personalities. These are men that, uh, mm -hmm. Frederick the Wise, even apart from Luther, deserves to be remembered in oh, history. Yeah. And, uh, and he has to navigate between the two. And I think someone in that role, um, it takes a very uh, unique personality um, to be able to, humble yourself enough to serve as mediator yep. um, between the two. And I'm sure it was often very taxing. Um, I, I'm guessing it'd be similar for you, especially in the parish, where you're wrestling with what's the best way to handle something. And you're up at night. And I'm sure both Frederick and Luther gave <laughs> yeah. uh, Spalatin nights like that. I would imagine, yeah. And I think, you know, that's just one of the relationships that he has to navigate, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, he... <laughs> um, serves as the interpreter. Frederick wanted to meet with Erasmus. Um, and so they have this conversation. So, so, uh, Spalatin is the, uh, interpreter cause you know, Erasmus is speaking Latin and, and, uh, Frederick wants to make sure that his Latin is, his Latin maybe isn't quite as sharp as it is. Which so, would be normal for a ruler. Right. Yeah. yeah. He can function in it, but you know, it's not going to be on the, <laughs> equivalent right. of and a when university you're speaking to one of the preeminent you know? scholars yes. on the continent yep you want to make sure you're understanding yeah and and he also corresponds with the emperor he corresponds with the pope um you know so all of these um big personalities uh big powerful people of influence um man he's he's corresponding with all of them and right. and intersecting with all of them and because he's so close to Frederick, and Frederick trusts him yeah. as well as he does. You've not been here long, Jason, but uh, does this not somewhat remind you of our um, department head, Michael Berg? Yes. He's uh, able to navigate between uh, our department and the administration. Um, he's able to handle whatever situation with decorum Yep. and uh, to, to speak and act properly. Um, I I feel uh, like he and Spalatin would have gotten along well. Yeah. It, uh, I think Mike could do just fine meeting with the Pope. I think he could. Yeah. I think he'd pull it off. Yeah. yeah I think I think he would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that about him. So Spalatin will end up in the parish. And, and we, we ought not pass over this part. Um, and so he, uh, Frederick dies in 1525. But Spalatin will continue to work for... Uh, his successor, which will be John the Constant or Steadfast, uh, I think would be the other way that we could say it. Um, he attends the Diet of Spire in 1526. <clears throat> He's going to be at Augsburg in 1530. 
But um, he's going to become the pastor of the church in Altenburg in Thuringia in 1525. So right around the time of, of Frederick's death. Uh, but he's going to be still managing things in Wittenberg while being pastor there. As I mentioned earlier, he'll be part of the Saxon visitations. Uh, and as one who, from a pastoral perspective, wants to see um, Lutheran ministry carried out well, but also as one who, from a um, bureaucratic, right, having doing mm-hmm. work with the state, right. realizes there's also things that need to be ironed out just infrastructure-wise, if I can use that term. But we could say that this begins kind of the um, the parish or theological uh, real phase of his life where this becomes his primary vocation. And I just find that fascinating that he makes this move um, because this was, I would say, for most at the time, they would have considered such a move a demotion. Yeah. Um, especially in the... Um, the pre-Luther days where, right, you didn't want to be in a parish. You did everything you could hmm. if you were a clergy, right, yep. to pawn that off on someone else um, so you could, you know, take care of other or enjoy other benefits of the the office. And so he, while he still carries out courtly duties, he's going to leave the court. Um, he's going to, you know, leave being in the regular presence of the movers and shakers of the political life of the day mm-hmm. uh, and become a uh, a pastor. And I find that very very commendable. Uh, anything that stands out to you with um, with that move, or well, I'd say with with just kind of the broader concept that you're talking about. You know, the this is something that Spalton would not have had to do because Frederick had awarded him a pretty um, solid benefice, which is you know that he basically he um, is allowed to take an income from property that was just something that they did back then with as far as the church structure went and he wouldn't have needed to do that mm-hmm. um because he could have lived off of that and you know done done just fine but you know the fact that he uh, is willing to do that i think it kind of says a lot about his convictions as far as the reformation are concerned as, and um what that means to serve people with god's word and how important that was to him yeah, and so I think, um, you know, the leaving of the court was probably uh, something that brought sadness, especially because it came with the death of Frederick the Wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but he seems to have uh, thrown himself into that parish work as well and uh, seemed to have a sincere desire to see the Reformation translated to parish life. Yeah. Um, which is very important. It reminds me, for instance, of a Bugenhagen. Yep. Right. That this is not. This cannot just be a university movement, or something for the intellectual elite. Um, but how do we take pulpit altar font um, in their purest form um, to the people that uh, the church has been called to serve in that in that place? I don't know if you read much about it, and it, it pops up, and they don't say a lot about it. Uh, but maybe if we speak a little bit about Jason, I don't. Did you? Did it say much in there? About his bout of depression t- towards the end of his life. No, that uh, that as things got beyond Frederick's lifespan, at least in this biography, you know, they he didn't touch too much on you know some of the ins and outs specifically of Spalton, but uh, um, at least not and didn't go into that specifically. But yeah, that's 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 something that um, 
you know that that was not uncommon by any stretch you know the, this idea and and i mean luther luther talks about that and that whole whether you call it melancholia or whether you know the the whole concept of anfectung and you know those those trials and challenges that just weigh on a person's soul um that that was something that they talk about quite often and and not something or very few people i would say were able to escape that entirely right and it um i mean the list could just be very long of of people Mm -hmm. uh um, and even in wittenberg right Mm -hmm. that this impacted the um yeah it's just striking to me and i think a good reminder for us as christians that here you have a man who served frederick the wise and then served i think i misspoke and said son before when i meant brother um and then served right john the constant yep um and then uh, will also serve, um, from a distance he's serving these, these latter mm-hmm. two, um, will also serve John Frederick, who, for whom he had been a, a, a tutor. Um, he had a long, protracted friendship with Luther, with Melanchthon, right? all the Wittenberg yep. crew. Um, and yet still, uh, melancholy is melancholy, and it can, it can uh, get a hold of you. And we see that with Luther, we see that with others, um, that... Uh, that the gospel is uh, is not a, a remedy for all of our earthly ills, mm-hmm. but it's a word that we hold to even when our body or mind or the world may speak to the contrary. Um, and so Luther and others, right, will comfort him with this and uh, will um, share that gospel with him. And maybe it's a good reminder for us, right? This did not leave. Uh, this did not lead. Um, Spalatine to somehow uh, forsaking um, the gospel, but rather the gospel was the the lifeline to which he could hold yeah. through such things. And 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 letters like this, I'd just encourage listeners sometimes to to read Luther's letters and Luther's works. Um, uh, Luther really shines in those in a uh, as one who is not talking about theology in the abstract but one but a lived theology and so maybe Spalatin is a, a helpful reminder of that as well I don't know if I what your thoughts are on that but yeah I think too you know it's you know oftentimes clinging to the gospel in spite of all those uh things that swirl around you know and, and that maybe are the direct cause of some of those um dark days and 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 things um and I think too you know that I would be curious, you know, just to see the total number of Luther's letters and how where Spalatin ranks. Um, Got um, high, yeah. Because I mean, there that's where you know, like just flipping through different um, books, just you know, Spalatin pops up all the time because so oftentimes it's Luther wrote to Spalatin, um, and you get some of those, you know, treasures of, um, you know, uh, Luther's wit. Um, but also, you know, gospel nuggets or whatever you want to call them, you know, of, of comfort and, and confidence that he has, um, not just for himself, but for others. And yeah. And I think too, that there, there are some real, uh, Luther's letters are some incredible examples of that. And, and, uh, he sure wrote a lot of them to, (laughs) to Spalatin. So, and, and, and to remember that in that connection too, um, the Reformation was the work of a circle of friends mm-hmm. um, and uh, of of brothers, but who sometimes made a bit of an awkward family. Um, <laughs> a lot of different personalities, sometimes yep. disagreements on 
um, even important matters that had to be worked out. Uh, but maybe a healthy reminder for the church today when we, we can be tempted to be highly individual, um, both in our, our piety and in our practice of the faith, um, right? For pastors, this is why the encouragements exist to go to circuit and to mm-hmm. pastors' conferences um, or to have people to work with. I, I'll admit, one of the things, um, I don't think I ever could have played well with an associate in the parish. But I do think one of the things that I really enjoy at the college uh, is is my colleagues, right? Mm-hmm. To have, and, and not just in the theology department, but um, but across campus, uh, to remember that the the Reformation was not solely the work of theologians, right? Right, um, and also not solely the work of an individual, um, but of uh, as C.S. Lewis talks about. You know, friends are those who have something uh, they're about together, <clears throat> and uh, and the four loves, and when he talks about right, Philos, uh, mm-hmm. Philadelphia, or, you know, getting its name from that, or not Philos, Philly, Philia, Philia, man, my Greek and Latin are terrible today. Um, <laughs> it's because I read German. The uh, When we do these sessions where we stop and we look at other people in Luther's life, that's one of the main things to see. And it's not just that he had a circle of friends or colleagues. He had a circle of very capable and talented mm-hmm. friends and colleagues. And the last place probably you would have expected to find such a group assembled was in Wittenberg, Germany. Yeah. But at this burgeoning university... Um, these people are brought together, and God uses them in remarkable ways. And so Spalatine will mark many of the main events of Luther's life in the Lutheran Reformation um, from the very beginning uh, until his death. Uh, what is it, 1545? For, he dies for at the year before Luther. Yeah, yeah um, the year before him. And, uh, and so it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's good and right that— um, if you go to the Castle Church in Germany, I believe one of the statues on the side is of um, Spalatine, right, along with Jonas mm-hmm. and Kruseger and others. Yeah, there are a lot of them in yeah. that one. But, yeah, I'm, I think you're right. Spalatine is I suppose if someone there. went there and had a camera, they would take, take a lot, a lot of, pictures. of pictures of those. Yep, I would yeah. think. <laughs> the um, Any closing thoughts you have on, on Spalatine? I've talked a fair amount, Jason. Yeah, I... I think he is one of those guys that is behind the scenes, um, and yet there a lot, and you know there a lot in connection with some very key figures, um, and you know I, I think what you talked about before with his you know attitude of humble service on the one hand and a true love for the gospel um, that that's a vital role you know um, in that mix of of friends. Um, and I think he, he also serves as Frederick's biographer, um, which, you know, I, I think too, you know, you get a chance to, to see a little bit of a, a glimpse at some of those things that were going on, um, behind the scenes in the earlier days of the, of the reformation in large part, because spout and number one is there and is also sanctioned by Frederick to record yeah. some of these things and share them. And he is, his, as um, right. The, the English of the German for his position is he's he's his privy secretary, right? Mm-hmm. He, he's the one who's privy to all yep. the dirt. Yep, is a very trusted individual. Yeah, and I think and also serves as a you know private chaplain for for a brief stretch yep. at least um, for the elector. And again, I, which I think under, underscores his you know love for the gospel and pastoral care. Um, but yeah, I think just a 
a, a guy that turns up over and over and over again, um, but is never never seems to be the center of attention, but is always there. Yeah. The um, perhaps uh, deserving of a, a small statue in uh, in Jasondale. Oh, I would. Yeah, I would almost think that would. I mean, the unique draw. Yes. Yep. Maybe Although, maybe on the site of the uh, the orthodoxund yeah, dog races. Yes, the orthodoxund annual annual race. Um, yeah, it's 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 outside of the festival. framework of fellowship. Yep. Right. Yeah. Oh, of course. Right. Of course. Well, good. Well, <laughs> uh, we better not go too long, or our um, dear friend and colleague, Darius Erspalatine, um, will think that we didn't stay disciplined but i think we stayed remarkably disciplined in fact i would i would say you perhaps wrangled me just as successfully as michael ever has but but with love oh you i could just tell you wanted me to stay focused and you didn't do any of the faces (laughs) or exasperated gestures so i appreciate (laughs) that well i can work on those for next time if you'd like but Ah, we'll see. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. Right. Um, I'm going to let Jason enjoy his uh, bean burrito fajita thing and perhaps his cheese stick, and then we'll see. Um, I'll try to remember to fill you in what he does uh, decide to do with the orange, and uh, it's his. he's free to choose to do whatever he wants mm-hmm. because uh, here we're all about letting the bird fly.